0: And so last week, we kicked into a new series on the book of Colossians. And, uh, and so today we're gonna be continuing that. But I challenged you last week to read through chapter one, uh, every day. And you say, well, why would I read through the same chapter of the Bible every day? Because we don't get it on the first take. And so I would encourage you to read over it. And when you think you got it figured out in one version, just switch to another translation or another version of the Bible. Because you might get a new insight or a new thought. And uh, because what happens is that when we focus on something, I believe that God continually gives us revelation. And the thing that we learn on Tuesday may open up the door to something new on Wednesday that we didn't see on Tuesday. Because we need to learn something on Tuesday. And so that's the help of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, this week I would encourage you today I'm going to be teaching uh, really from Colossians chapter 2, and I would encourage you this week, every day, everybody say every day, amen. Colossians 2, it's one chapter of the Bible, it'll take you about three minutes and, uh, to do it, And uh, but I would encourage you to pray before you open up your Bible, I would encourage you to always do this before you approach God's Word, is to ask for the help of the Holy Spirit, uh, because we don't want to just read the words on the page, we want them to speak to us, amen? Amen. Because when they speak to us, it produces some life change in us. And so, um, so last week we, we started off in this. If you weren't here, you can jump online, you can watch the service from last week, the message, and uh, I don't want to re-preach it because that's chapter one and we're on chapter two today. And, um, but I do want to start off, uh, you know, last week I shared with you about kind of the tone of Colossians is really the Apostle Paul is writing uh, to a church of believers that he had never actually personally met. But I love the tone of this letter. If you're not familiar with the Bible, uh, much of the New Testament, uh, at least past the Gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the book of Acts would not necessarily be included in this, but really starting at 1 Corinthians all the way up until Revelations, and really even Revelations, is a letter to the church. And so these were letters that the Apostle Paul was writing to different people in different areas, different locations, and uh, you know, and so he really wrote these letters in this sense, especially uh, as a kind of an... An elder statesman, like a father figure, uh, to these people. And he's just trying to help them, encourage them until he could get there. And, uh, and so this morning I say this every now and then, because I believe that it, 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 it it's worth voicing and repeating because a lot of times I believe that uh, you can come to church or even how you even view my function within the church. Um, and so this morning I want to approach really these passages uh, really from the mindset of me as your pastor. Now I don't believe that I'm your pastor just because I'm the one up here on the platform. I don't believe that I'm your pastor because I have, because some people refer to me that way or some people would say, Hey, you know, Pastor David, some people call me pastor, I could care less about it, but what I do care about is really the place that you give me in your life, because I don't believe that I'm pastor by title, I believe I'm your pastor by your choice, and that's important. Because what you're doing by allowing me to be a pastor in your life is you're allowing me to speak into your life. You're open, Really what I'm saying by that is you're opening up your heart to me and saying, I'm going to allow the Lord to speak through you and to be a play, a, a, really a position of influence into my life. And that's important, especially when I talk about things you don't want me to talk about. <laughs> that's when it's really important. You know, and so this morning, and I do count it an honor. I, I said this last week is that I really do uh, believe that my, that I get the best, I have the best job in the planet. Uh, I really believe that. I love what I get to do. Um, <clears throat> you know, and it is an honor, but there's also a, a part of me as your pastor is that I have multiple facets. I am to encourage you. I'm to cheer you on. I'm to, you know, to at times prod you a little bit. <clears throat> you know, sometimes I need to make you uncomfortable. Why? Because Jesus makes me uncomfortable. If Jesus makes me uncomfortable, I'm going to make you uncomfortable. I'm just going to spread the love around, right? But I believe that there's times that I need to even speak to things that are issues in our life. Why? Because I believe that, and this is what the Bible says, is that when the light of God's word comes in, the power of God comes in to strengthen and to heal. You know, and so today I really want to approach this text as your pastor. And I realize I may not be your pastor. And that's okay, but today I'm going to ask you and, get, and ask you to give me permission that for this morning at least that you'll let me talk to you like your pastor. Why? Because it's important. There's and I could go into all the reasons why. Ultimately, it has to do with spiritual authority, and that's where it all starts. And I'm not on some ego trip. That's not it at all. But God, the Bible says that all authority has been established by the Lord. You know, and I don't stand here because I think I'm smart. And I don't stand here because I think I got it all figured out. I stand here by the grace of God going, I'm trying to figure a lot of this out. Yet God has called me into this place, which is uncomfortable. But yet, yes, Jesus, I will do what you tell me to do. And uh, and, and so this morning, I want to share a little bit with you. Just a little bit of brief recap, the book of Colossians, the apostle Paul is writing to a society, a culture that had a lot of mixed belief. And so they had Christianity, they had the Bible, they had, uh, you know, some understandings, but then they had also mixed in all kinds of other religions, if you will, all kinds of other types of doctrines. And so Paul is really writing this letter to this group of believers to help them kind of sift through the noise and say, Hey guys, here's the real deal. It's all about Jesus. Like Jesus is in everything, before everything, on everything. It's all about Jesus because, and and, and last week I even shared this, is that if we're not careful, we can actually have a contaminated faith where we begin to believe things that are culturally relevant but are biblically wrong. And we kind of just slide into them. You know, I shared a few of them last week, but I'll give you another one. Is that well, this is my truth. I don't get to determine what truth is. The Word of God does. And so, I mean, we'll look at this verse here in a few minutes. But Jesus says, I am the truth. Not a truth. Not one of many. He says, I am the truth. The life. I am the way. You know, and so Paul is writing... To them trying to create a baseline so they could be confident in whom they have believed. And it's important that we have a pure faith. Why? Because when it's pure, it's powerful. When it's contaminated, it gets weakened and it gets diluted. And so we wonder, why isn't God showing up in my life? Why why aren't the things that pastor talks about on Sunday seem, why do they seem to work for everybody else but me? I would encourage you to to look inward a little bit and say, are there areas of my life, are there compromises to my faith? And when I say compromise, I don't just mean sin. Are there things that I believe about God that the Bible doesn't say? I'll give you a, a big one. Is is God good? Some people are like, well, God's sovereign, but what does the word of God say? It says he does good and he does that which is only good. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. And so we can believe things like, well, you know, you can just never figure God out. He's a mystery that he revealed in his word. Bible says that I can know him and if I want to know what the father looks like then I can look to Jesus and then I get a picture of what the father is like so I don't have to wonder who God is or what he's like what his personality is I can look to the scriptures and I can find him and so there's so many things though that we can in their subtle things that's the thing and that's where we need the help of the Holy Spirit to say hey you believe this but that's not true And we need the Holy Spirit to highlight some things in our life, some things that we bought into, some things that we believed that are actually diluting our faith. And they're actually compromising our faith. Now, there may be areas of our life of compromise. We need to deal with those. I knew that would get a big amen. But there are areas of all of our lives where we are not where we should be. And that's why we have the grace of God. The grace of God, what, helps me to be better than I could ever be by myself. And the more I learn to lean into the grace of God, the more I will experience the presence and the power of God. And so Paul is writing to them. this. And so I'm going to give you one scripture here. Um, and I think it's important before we get to Colossians, uh, but I'm actually going to give you two before we get to Colossians too, but they're going to go quick. In second Timothy, Paul is writing to his son in the faith. Who's Timothy chapter four, verse three and four. He's talking about the last days. And he says for a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. Let me say it this way. When people will no longer listen and believe God's word. I know the Bible says, but So you just redefine the Bible with your butt. So he says the time is coming when people no longer listen to sound teaching, wholesome teaching. He says they will follow their own desires. We talked about this last week. Proverbs says that there's a way that seems right, but in the end it leads to destruction. When we follow our own desires, it's going to take us to a place that's going to get us somewhere and into something that we don't want. And it says, and they will look for people who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth, but they will chase after myths. They will reject God's word, and they're going to look for something that sounds good, looks good, feels good. But how many of you know, just because it feels good doesn't always mean that it is good. In another place, Paul said it this way. He says, everything is permissible. Everything's allowable. But not everything is profitable. Not everything's going to move me forward. I have freedom in Christ to do anything, but I'm not foolish enough to think if I make bad decisions or bad choices, if I dabble in certain things, that it's not going to affect me. And and so, you know, and so really what it talks about here, so it says, hey, this is what this is going to look like, and this is why it's important that we stay within the limits of the Word of God. How many of you know that the Word of God is complete, it's thorough, it is finished? We don't need to add to it. If we just stick with the Word of God, the Word will work. And so this is important. So I believe that we have to stay within the context, the principles, the truth, and the commands of Scripture. These are important things that we need to hold to. In 2 Timothy 3.14, he he gives the charge to me. He says that you must remain faithful to the things that you have been taught. You know that they are true because you know that you can trust those who have taught you. The Bible talks about in the last days that deception will run rampant. Well, what's deception? It's believing something is true that's not true. You want to know the most deceiving thing? The hardest thing about deception? It's deceiving. I know that's the news, like, I just blew your minds, I know. Why? Because when we are deceived, we don't know it. If we knew we were deceived, we wouldn't do it. Think about Adam and Eve in the garden. It says that she was deceived, therefore she took a bite of the apple. If she wasn't deceived, she wouldn't have bit the apple. The problem was she believed a lie, which was, did God really say? See, we're still battling that Today. the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. The devil has no tricks, new tricks up his sleeves. He still comes to us like that. Did God's word really say, did God really mean that? Oh, surely he was talking about somebody else. He wasn't talking about you though. No, I, I, I mean, we have to be wise. And so starting off here in Colossians chapter two, I'm just going to read the first three verses here because this is kind of an introductory, if you will. But he says, I want you to know how much that I have agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea. And it says for many other believers who I've never or who have never met me personally. He says, I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. And so he's kind of saying, hey, love is the first thing. It's very important. And he goes on, he says, I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan I don't know if you've ever read the Bible or if you've ever heard somebody talk about the Bible and you're like that sounded awesome but I have no idea what you just talked about you know what I'm talking about you ever go to church and somebody preaches something you're like well that's great I just have no clue what I'm supposed to do with that and sometimes and really what Paul is saying here he says I want you to have complete confidence about the mysterious unknown things that God has done In other words, he's saying, hey, I don't want you to be ignorant. I want you to understand what God is doing. And so he continues here, and he says, so God's mysterious plan, he says, which is Christ himself? If you want to know God's great plan, it's Jesus. From the foundations of the world, God's plan for humanity was Jesus. That's not that mysterious. But yet, we can make it really complicated. Paul goes on, he says that in him, in Jesus, lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In other words, if you've got a question, Jesus has your answer. And I don't care how practical, how natural it may be, or how spiritual it may be, Jesus has the answer. Why? Because all wisdom and all knowledge has been hidden in him. And so I I quoted this verse a minute ago, and it's John 14, 6, is that Jesus says that I am the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't say a, he didn't say one, he said I'm the, singular. I am the way, to what? To a relationship and a connection with God. I am the truth that will set you free. I am the life that actually can change your day-to-day life. That's what Jesus is talking about here. And so what happens is, is that we can get saved. We come to church, we come to Jesus, we surrender our heart to him. And we say, man, I'm, I'm saved and I, I'm not going to hell, I'm going to heaven. But then something typically with the sake of time happens. And what we used to be excited about and, 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 and very aware of. Is that God had saved us of our sin? That God had breathed new life into us can become very mundane and very ordinary. And this, every one of us, are susceptible to this. It's human nature. By human, we as human beings, we are prone to drift. We just are. Every one of us. And going back to Colossians chapter two, starting in verse six. This is really kind of, if I was going to give you one scripture today, this is it. In verse 6, he says, And now, just as you have accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Following Jesus is more than a prayer one time. It's a surrendered life, not a prayer. And I have seen people that have walked with the Lord for years and years and years turn and walk away from their faith. Why? Because they quit following. Jesus is called to the disciples were come and follow me, not pray a prayer to me. He says, come and follow me. And what he's really saying is, come into relationship with me. The Passion Translation says it this way. Is that we should be progressing further into our union with him. Continue following me. Continuing, you know, to keep this up. And it goes on here. In verse 7 it says, let your roots grow down deep into him. That your lives would be built upon him. That's an important distinction. Jesus is not a part of my life. Jesus is my life. I don't go to other things to find life. I go to Jesus to find life. It doesn't mean that I can't enjoy a football game. It doesn't mean that I can't have hobbies. It doesn't mean that I can't have friends. It doesn't mean that I can't have a... It has nothing to do with any of those things. But none of those things are ultimate. I mean, last night I'm watching a football game and my emotions are like, this is awesome. We're doing great. And I'm like, what's happening? And if I allow something as trivial as my team to sway me, I'm standing on pretty fragile ground. Why? Because my interest is not enough to sustain my soul nothing wrong with having interest as long as I'm not looking to them for something that they can never provide I can't look to my family or my spouse to say hey you're my ultimate they can't you're asking something that is impossible a human being will never fulfill you it's impossible now another human being can make you happy How many of you know that God did not call us to be happy? He did not save us to be happy. There's nothing wrong with happiness. I mean, the presence of God brings joy into our life. But happiness is fleeting. That's why the Bible doesn't say that happiness is the strength of your life. No, it says that the joy of the Lord is your strength. Why? Because happiness and joy are two different things. So he says here that let our lives be built upon Christ. And he says and when we do this, then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. So have this connection, this union. Make sure that you're staying plugged into your power source. Not just one time years ago, like today, right now. I don't care if you've been serving, the God for, for serving God for 10 minutes, 10 years, however long. The moment that we begin to pull back from our connection with him is the moment that we begin to slip away from really what God wants to do and have in our lives. And this is important. That we pay attention to these things. In verse 10. Colossians 2, he says, he makes this statement, he says, So you are also complete through your union with Christ, who is head over every ruler and authority. So let me say it this way. When Jesus is in his rightful first place in our life, we're complete. We have everything that we need. But there has to be a vibrant, vital connection to him. It cannot be lip service. It can't just be I'm checking my box today. It cannot be I'm just going through the motions because this is what I'm supposed to do. And I want to be a good person and and I don't want to upset people and and I want people to think good about me. You don't really care what people think about you. You need to care about what Jesus thinks about you. Because you won't stand before people. But we will stand before him. And this is important. But see, what happens is, and we talked about this a little bit last week, and it talks about this throughout this book of the Bible, but it really makes a case and really kind of settles the argument about the preeminence of Christ. In other words, He is supreme. He's numero uno. In the Old Testament, it sounds like this. I am the Lord your God, and I will have no other God before me. I will have no rival I will not compete. But we determine, we we make this this choice. And so if Jesus is the head of the church and we are his body, we have to continue to follow him. My head cannot say, I'm going to go that way and my body go that way. Why? Because it's connected. And my brain tells my body what to do. Step right, step left. My legs didn't do that, my brain did. My brain just sent the commandment to do it. See, and this is how we're to live our life. And what can happen is, is that we can actually begin to reduce our relationship with God to just trying to keep up with the rules and the regulations and we're trying to do right and we're missing the whole point. Because we're trying to do this thing in the flesh. We talked about this last week in the book of Galatians. And Paul told him, he said, hey, who has tricked you? Who, who has lied, you, lied to you? Who has tricked you to believe that what you started in the spirit, you will now complete in the flesh? None of us have ever deserved salvation, not for one moment, not for one millisecond. And all of our human effort could never qualify us. That's why Jesus came. This is the case that Paul is making over and over to them throughout the book of Colossians. Is that Jesus is first and Jesus is most important. Why? Because he can do what we can't. And he has done for us what we can't do. But what happens is that we want to try to get into the natural realm of things. And it's like, well, I'm just going to talk better. I'm going to make better decisions. And, and it's, it's all here versus living from a union and a relationship with God. I shared this with you last week. Is that God gives us what? The power and the ability, the desire, the will, the want to and the ability And sometimes we have the want to, but we forget we need the power of God in our life to bring that wheel about. I'm not strong enough, and you're not strong enough, and and you're not type A enough to be able to really experience all that God has for you. And so here's a key for you. Is that many times, and, and I know this is true for me. But I believe it's also true for most of us as well, is that we need to stop straining to become something, and we need to learn how to just start remaining. Stop straining, start remaining. Let me say it. Let me say it another way. You need to settle down. Take the pressure off. When we strain, there, there's pressure. There's ex, we put expectations on ourselves. Let me give you another word for remaining. Rest. Why? Because Jesus is enough for you. Like, yeah, but you don't know. But I know Jesus. Jesus is enough for my past, for my future, for your past, for your mistakes, for the thing that you hope nobody ever finds out about and you hope it never pops up on the internet. Jesus is Enough. Calm down. Take the pressure off. All the pressure. The Bible says all the weight of sin was laid upon Jesus. All the weight, the anxiety, the pressures were all laid on him. Why? So that we could just experience the goodness of God and not try to fight to get it. Let me say another. Word. He struggled so that we don't have to. So, if you feel like your Christian life is a burden, let me help you. You're doing it wrong. And there are days that I do it wrong. And I have to remind myself stop striving, start resting. Jesus is enough. So I have to accept that what the Bible says about Jesus in regards to me, which is that I had sin, I had past, I have even things in my future, but Jesus' blood is enough. It is enough for me. And so if Jesus is who the Bible says he is, then I also believe that I am who the Bible says I am. Which is not just an old sinner saved by grace. I was an old sinner. Was is the key word doesn't mean that I'm perfect today. I won't see perfection until I get to heaven. But today, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I know who I am in Christ. Why? Because I have discovered myself by finding Jesus in the scriptures. And I have found myself. Because why? The Bible says that I've been seated with him in heavenly places. I don't identify by myself or by my limitations. I now identify by him. And this is important. This is the identity question. It's the number one most important question that you will ever answer for yourself. Who are you dependent on? Are you hidden in Christ or are you just going rogue? Trying to do it on your own. When we do it on our own, it's just frustrating. You'll end up beating your head against a wall, after a wall, after a wall, after a wall. wall. And once you beat that wall down, there's another wall. That's not the way that the Bible calls us to be, though. Let me give you an example of this. I'm going to contrast two two things. A branch and a stick. You ever had to pick up sticks in the yard? Uh you ever tried to pull a branch off of a tree? A little different. Now if the limb is dead, that does not work for this illustration. So don't come up to me after and be like, what if the limb's dead? I've already thought about that, I know. But I'm talking about a a limb or a branch that is alive. Here's some characteristics that I thought of thinking of a stick. When you... a a stick in the ground or, or one falls number one it's dry it's brittle it breaks easily and the only thing that it can do is decay you can go take a stick and stab it in the ground it probably ain't coming back to life I don't know what the percents are but it's really low you go stab a stick in your yard today, next week, it's going to look worse than it does today. Why? Because it's been disconnected from the life source. That's just the, the facts. A branch, on the other hand, it's fresh, it's strong, and it produces life. Leaves come out on it. Depending on the type of tree you know, or that it is, it may even produce fruit. It produces something. Well, we're not called to be a branch. We're called to be... I'm sorry, we're not called to be a stick. We're called to be a branch. That's what Paul is talking to them about. This union, this, this vital connection with Jesus. In John 15, verses 1-4, through 4, Jesus is teaching. and He says that I am the grapevine and my father is the gardener. He says he cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. But, and this is key, he says, but he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they can produce even more. One of the things that I have experienced and have come to realize is that God is not picking on me when he tells me to make some adjustments in my life. No, he's pruning me because he knows that on the end of that pruning that there's greater fruitfulness. And so he's like, hey, I need you to deal with this attitude. I need you to deal with this thought. You know that person that just irritates you? I'm going to need you to let that go. I'm going to need you to love them the way that I love them. You're like, Jesus, do you know what they have done? Do you know their stank attitude? Do you know what they said to me? And Jesus is going to say, I'm asking you to love them. Why? Because as long as I have that irritation, there's just frustration. I'm a stick. And there's only decay that's going to happen. No life is going to come out of my irritation and my frustration. But when I listen to the voice of the Lord in my life and I deal with the areas of my life. And I'm willing to confront those things that don't really line up with who God wants me to be. He's pruning me so that something greater can come. Pruning's not always fun and it's not always pretty. I don't know if you've ever pruned something. I don't consider myself a green thumb. I just hack things, you know, but even in my very limited, I don't even consider it ability, but in, in my limited, uh, work at trying to prune something, when you prune it at first, it looks horrible. It looks barren. Where'd all the leaves go? Where'd all the fruit grow? Where, where did all this stuff, what happened to everything? But if there's no pruning, the next season will not be as fruitful. Why? Because the nutrients from the roots need to go where they need to go and not just be dispersed out too far. So you have to prune back. God does the same thing with us. And Jesus says this, says that, that he will prune us. See, We don't have to fix us and we don't have to figure out what's my next step. God, what do you let me figure out? God, is this it? Is this it? Is this it? Here's the greatest key I can give you. Go ask the Lord what he wants you to deal with and he will tell you. Here's the good news. If you try to do it on your own, you're left to yourself. If he gives you the instruction to deal with that area of your life. Because here's the thing. If you ask, you'll probably be surprised by what he comes back with. Because it won't be the big thing that you're thinking about. It's going to be something small, almost petty. And you're going to be like, really? That, that Of everything in my life that I can think of right now, that's the thing that you want to talk about? Really? He's going to say, "Yup." See, we deal with these small things, and so, why? Because there's more fruitfulness coming. Jesus goes on here, and he says, You have already been pruned and purified by the message that I have given uh, given you. And here's these words again. Remain in me. Continue to hold fast. Continue to stay connected to me. says, And I will remain in you. Now, I think it's interesting that he said, If you remain, and let me say it this way. If you stay, I'll stay. I won't leave. He didn't say, hey, I'm going to stay as long as you stay. He said, no, I, I'm staying. But yet we can drift. We can pull away. So he says, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the, from the vine. And it says, and you cannot produce fruit unless you remain in me. Like, well, what is this talking about? When I stand before Jesus, I want to have something on the scales. Because the Bible says that our whole life will be judged and fire will come and consume our life. And that which remains is of value. I don't want everything to disappear. I want to have some things on the scales that say, God, I walked with you and I saw you work. And there was evidence and fruit in my life. And this is true for every one of us. See, I believe that, you know, and this is a bit of a, uh, even this week as I was writing this message and I was, I was thinking about this, is that we don't talk a whole lot about holiness in the church. And I say that as somebody who's responsible for what we communicate in the church. But yet the Bible calls us to holiness, it does not call us to lives of compromise. We're not to look like the world, be like the world, sound like the world. We're not. Why? Because what the world is doing is not working. So why would I want to be like them? Because if I'm like them, then I get the results that they get. I want to be like Jesus. And that doesn't make me weird or strange or any of those things. But I believe that, that even in the church, like we need to really come back to that thought. Is it, what am I, what am I doing with the conviction that the Holy Spirit brings into my life? Because many times it's just a blip on a a radar. In a moment we're like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. And we're like, all right, let's go on. Versus stopping and acknowledging. Just as as David said, I didn't sin against anybody. I, I sinned against the Lord and him alone. Well, if that's true, then I need to stop and say, Lord, you just convicted me of what I just said. I shouldn't have said that. It went through here and came out there before I even knew what I was doing. But, Father, I repent of that. Some of you need to pray for a crop failure for all the words that you've said. Because words are seeds, by the way. And we've been planting some seeds, and there's a lot of weeds, and you're looking at your life going, Why does it look so trashy? I say that jokingly. It's not a bad prayer to pray. God, can I can have a crop failure on some of those crazy things I have said. Please don't let those seeds produce. You're like, well, what do I do if I've got all these weeds? This is what Jesus said. Just plant better seeds, and the good seed will overwhelm the bad seed. Change your confession. Every time that you have a negative thought about you, you need to replace it and say it out loud so that you hear it as to what God's word says about you. I'm not dumb. I have the mind of Christ. I'm not weak. I have all the power I need in Christ. I'm the head and not the tail. I am above and I am not belief. I can do all things through Christ. I may not know how and I may not know when, but God, I thank you that that you put your wisdom and your understanding on the inside of me. Therefore, I can be victorious in every moment. And it doesn't mean that I experience victory in every moment of every day, but the outcome is that I'm going to come out better and stronger. And I'm going to learn some lessons and and it it may be some hard times along the way, but I'm not going to quit. Why? Because God, I know that even in this season of pain that you're pruning so that there can be more fruit. And I trust you in the process. See, I believe that we've got to get rid of of what I'm going to call pesky sins. They're little things. But we got to get rid of them. You're like well that thing's a sin if it doesn't agree with God's word yes that's the most basic definition of sin anything that doesn't agree with God's word and you're like man I got a long list when you pray and ask the Lord just ask for one to say Lord I'm slow let's just start easy let's just start with one See, here's the thing, like another way to say it about a, a pesky sin is this, is a parasitic sin. You know what a parasite is? Like a leech? It, it, it cannot sustain itself, so it looks for an agent to attach itself to. I remember one time we were on a missions trip, and we were swimming in this river, and they're like, hey, you might have some leeches on you. And we're like, what? Like, we're going to get out the water real quick. Why? Because it comes in it. Attaches and what happens? It actually begins to drain the life out of the principal agent, if you will, so that it can live. Think of a tick. It bites you. Why? Because it needs something you got. The same thing is true with sin. And it's compromising and it's really crushing our relationship and our connection with God. And they're not always the big things. I mean, yeah, sure, there's things that we know and that they're like, oh my gosh. But all sin, big, small, doesn't matter. It all separates us from God. That, that closeness and that, that that close-knit connection. James chapter 1 says this. I'm going to read it to you out of three different translations. But he says, get rid of all the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. Let me say it another way. Get rid of all the moral filth that's so common, that's so normal. Well, everybody's doing it. Yeah, but what's Jesus telling you? Because that's the thing about the Word of God. It doesn't matter what the culture says. God's Word has a standard. Romans 14, 29 says, if for you it's sin, in other words, if you're convicted about it, don't do it. I don't care that Joe Blow is doing this. I don't care that all your friends are doing this. What is the Lord saying to you? And if he says don't, don't do it. Why? Because that's going to create some distance in your relationship, that connection with God. So he says, get rid of all of these things. Don't be don't just do the normal, the everyday things. He says, but humbly accept the word that is planted in you which can save you. Don't do this. Humbly accept. Why is humility important? Because I don't know what I need. And I need the work of the Lord in me to help me to push me into a relationship and a, and a greater connection with Him. The New Living says it this way says, So get rid of all the filth and the evil in your lives. Humbly accept the word of God or the Word that God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. What does? The Word does. The word has the power to save your soul. The Passion Translation says it this way. This is why we abandon everything morally impure and all forms of wicked conduct. It says instead with a sensitive spirit we absorb God's word which is implanted within our nature. For the word of life has power to continually deliver us. The same word that saved you will save you today. That's why in Psalms 51, it's a great prayer. You could could get saved every day. Now, not technically you can't, but it's a good thing to pray every day. Father, I surrender my heart to you today. I'm an instrument for your purpose and your plan today. I am not my own. I've been bought with the precious blood of Christ. So today, before I even get started, I just want to acknowledge this is your day. And you can pray this on Monday, not just Sunday. You could pray every day. Psalms 51, I believe it's verse 13. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. If there's anything in me that offends you, show it to me. Reveal it to me. Why? Because you're going to lead me in the way of everlasting. In other words, lead me to life. Father, I thank you there are going to be a lot of opportunities for death to try to come into my life, decay to come into my life today. But I thank you that you're leading me into life in every situation, in every circumstance, in every conversation, in every decision that I've got today. I thank you that you're leading me into your life. That's a powerful prayer. And I think we ought to pray it a lot more than we do to remind ourselves. Now, I don't believe that it's easy to lose your salvation Some people think, oh my gosh, I messed up. I'm not saved. Now I realize where we are and you're like, are you saying you believe in one saved, always saved? No. But what I do believe is this. If you can walk away that easily, I would question if you ever were saved. And see, and by virtue of where we live, everybody's saved, everybody knows the Lord. Oh, I went to church, oh, I got baptized, oh, I prayed a prayer when I was a kid. That don't mean squat. Did you believe what you prayed and have you remained in the vine? And look, and I'm not saying if you didn't that you're going to hell. That's not what I'm saying. But you won't see the evidence of your salvation this side of heaven. You may be crawling up to heaven. It's like, oh, I made it. When Jesus' intention was for you to walk up. Going back to Colossians chapter 2. This was so quite, uh, in verse 15 of this, I've quoted this verse, I've preached this verse so many ways and uh, but this week as I was just kind of reading the, well this week last week, as I was reading over this, really catching it in context, I'm going to start in verse 13, I would encourage you to go read Colossians 2 this week. read it every day. Remember, I asked you to let me be your pastor. I'm telling you what to do. Read Colossians 2 every day. Why? Because you're looking for the truth, because when you find the truth, it will set you free. So in verse 13, it says that you were dead because of your sins, and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. It says, then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all of your sins. And it says that he canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away. These are key words here. God made you alive with Christ. You got saved. It's a new birth. Like some people say, well, I this is how I would say it. I know you prayed a prayer, but did you change? Like when people met Jesus in the Bible, they changed. Did something happen on the inside? Was there a, a new life that came about? You may not have understood it at all. And that's not. You got time to figure it out. But did something change in, in within you? Why? Because you became. A, you were spiritually dead. Because of what? Because of your sins. And because of your sinful nature. But Jesus made you come alive. And he forgave all of your sins. The last The second part here says. That he canceled the record. See, many people live right there. I know that I'm forgiven, but I just can't get past my past. Keep reading the verse. It says that he canceled the record. He said, not guilty. And he took it away. He didn't just forgive it and say, I still want you to think about that. No, he said, hey, I, I took it away by nailing it to the cross. And in verse 15, this is so interesting. So, by Jesus doing all of these things, it says, in this way that he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities, and he shamed them publicly by his victory uh, over them on the cross. Now, I've preached this part, this last part of this verse, lots of different ways. Is that he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. But in the verses right before that, he, he tells us how that practically applies to my life and your life. I'm not going to ask you for a show of hands, but. In your own thought, how many days do you feel like the devil's just got the upper hand in your life? Like, man, he just got my number. He's got my week. He's got my month. I'm telling you how to get victory over him. Which is what? Is that we have to believe that we've been made alive in Christ... That all of our sins have been forgiven, that it's been canceled, that it's been washed away. And so when the devil tries to remind me about my mistake, that maybe even was yesterday, maybe this morning. I can say, nope, that's not who I am. I've acknowledged it, I've repented before God, and I've asked the Lord, help me with that area of my life. I'm never going to be perfect, but help me to be stronger in that area. I don't want to continue in this place. When I live that way, I actually disarm the enemy, the power of, of, of the world, the power of darkness in my life. Why? Because I'm living a surrendered, submitted, connected life to the Lord. It goes on in verse 20, it says, uh, You have died with Christ, and He has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. When you died with Christ, He set you free. But I don't feel very free. It's in your thinking. You have to change the way you think. We would say it this way. You've got to renew your mind. you got to think different. You, gotta, you, gotta, you have to believe God's word more than you do your own feelings. You have to speak God's word and continue to speak God's word. Why? Because he's drawing you closer to him. He's drawing you into that relationship, and, and if sin was the dividing line, Jesus took care of it. And it doesn't mean that when we mess up, that it's just okay. Grace is not like just this big eraser, like oh, it just never happened. No, but there can, it does create the separation when I when I continue. Let me say this: there's a difference between a one time thing and a habitual sin. When it's my practice and it's my normal course of life. That's a different issue. But either way, it needs to be dealt with. And the day, that, the way that I deal with the habitual stuff is every day. If I do it every day, I'm going to have to deal with it every day. And then the power of that thing will lose and, lose and lose and lose and lose and lose until you get victory over it. So wrapping up this chapter of Colossians 2 verse 20. The second part of verse 20. So he says, in the beginning it says, For you have died with Christ and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. And he goes, so why do you keep on trying to follow the rules of this world such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as you use them. Said these rules may seem wise, but they require strong devotion and pious self-denial and severe bodily discipline but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires so man I I can I can do everything that they've ever told me to do at church but it will offer no power to actually change me why because I'm just reading my Bible yeah but what's it doing in you Are you inviting the Holy Spirit into that moment? Say, Holy Spirit, I'm an open book to you and anything in me that offends you, I need to know. Because I need to get out. I want that union. I want that connection. I want that relationship with you. Because it's in the union. Because really what, what it's talking about here is, hey, you're just a stick. But a stick cannot produce life. But a branch can. And when I stay connected to the source, there's there's life and and there's growth and there's maturity that happens and there's fruit that comes. And all of these amazing things happen when I stay connected to Jesus. And so I'll go back to the first point that I gave. I told you I was going to give you one scripture. It's verse 6 of Colossians 2. It says, just as you have accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. It's not a one-time decision. It's a lifetime journey with with the Lord. I may not be where I want to be, but I'm sure a long ways from where I was. And I'm very thankful for that. And I'm committed that I'm going to continue to to walk and to grow and to learn so I can be what God has created me to be. And that's my prayer for you. Is that you would commit to following Jesus. Commit to the process that God is working in you and in your life and in your heart everything may not be a light bulb moment that changes in a moment there are times like that and that does happen at times I'm not saying I'm not saying that it can't it does but there are also times where the Lord is just patient and walks with us and just walks us through a process so that we can experience more of who he is and so I want to pray over you this morning And I'm going to pray just that. I'm going to pray that God is going to awaken something fresh and new on the inside of you. He's drawing you to himself. But it's got to be more than just this moment. Like if you're like, yeah, pastor, that's me. I'm I'm with you. Okay, but I need you to be with Jesus when you walk out of here. Because he's the one that produces life change in us. Father God, I just thank you so much for this morning. Father, I thank you for your word. Father, I thank you for your truth, that it's your truth that produces life and strength and ability on the inside of us. That Father, that we're not confident in ourselves. We have no reason to be confident in ourselves or look to ourselves. But Father, we thank you that Jesus has died for us, that he's paid the price of our sin, that he has disarmed the powers of darkness in our life. And Father, that your grace on the inside of us. Yes, it saves us. Yes, it forgives us. But Father, I thank you that it empowers us and it strengthens us and it equips us to step into the person that you've created for us to be. And so, Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your work in our lives. Father, I thank you that you're drawing us closer to, you. Father, those areas of our lives that may be compromised or maybe be um, things that are holding us back from really experiencing uh, the fullness of a relationship with you that you desire for us to have with you. Holy Spirit, I ask you to reveal those things and help us to remove those barriers to our connection. So that we could walk closer with you and know you more intimately and more personally and experience your power and your goodness every day. Father, I thank you for it right now in the name of Jesus. You know, you may be here today and you've never surrendered your heart to the Lord and that's where it starts. A relationship with God doesn't start by coming to church. It doesn't start by praying a prayer. Necessarily, it can, but it really starts with a relationship with Jesus. and And this morning, if you're here today and you're like, "Man, I, I need to surrender my heart to the Lord," I'm not going to lead you in a prayer, uh, but I am going to give you an opportunity to surrender your heart to the Lord. You may be here and you're, you m- maybe never prayed that prayer. You may be online today saying, "Hey, that's me." I, I, yeah, I've never. I mean, if you're like me, I went to church my whole life, but I didn't get saved till I was 16. Well, how did you know? Because I changed. Something happened on the inside of me. And all of a sudden it was like, what just happened? Is that I met Jesus. That's what happened. And you need a, I met Jesus moment. So you may have grown up in church and you say, man, I don't know if I've ever had that kind of moment. You need to. You may have had that and walked away and had been away from the Lord. You're saying, man, I, I need to come back. We're going to have people in just a few moments up here. And they're going to be available to pray with you. They can lead you uh, in a prayer. I would encourage you to grab one of these little cards and write on there, your little, write your prayer request out. doesn't just have to be for one of those things. You can come get prayer for anything. We're going to worship together. As we close out today, and you're like, why don't we always sing a song at the end? I've been telling you this every week for the last couple weeks. Because it seals the word of God that's been planted in your heart. And the enemy wants to steal that word as soon as you walk out of these doors. He's already probably trying to take it from you. And so we want to take a few moments in worship. So look, if you don't need prayer for anything, just worship God. Why? Because it's always a good idea. There's never a bad time to worship the Lord. But if you do need prayer for anything, doesn't matter what it is, big, small, God cares about them all. I feel like a car salesman when I just said that. I feel like an infomercial. Wow. I had a good moment there and I just, but it is true. I believe if it matters to you, it really does matter to God because he loves you that much. And so if you need prayer this morning, I'm going to invite you as as we worship together, come down here, let them pray for you. If you need to commit your heart to the Lord, come down here, let them pray for you. Say, well, why do we do this? Because I want it to be more personal. No, I don't want to just pray a prayer and just...